We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And where are we in the timeline? We are, we are in, in, uh, uh, in the last week of Jesus' life, and we are now in the Thursday before His crucifixion on Friday. And it is the, the Thursday morning of, of that time, of, of that day. So it's the Thursday morning. He's going to be crucified on Friday. So this is just the day before His death. It says, we're going to start reading. We're going to start reading from uh, verse 7. Luke chapter 22, verse 7. Then came the first day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, so that we may eat it. They said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, When you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. You shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So what happens during the Passover is that, that, remember, all the children of Israel are supposed to return to Jerusalem for the Passover. Not everyone can get into the city And so they would set up lots and lots of tents. So tent cities were set up around the city of Jerusalem so families could come. And it was usually a family time. And they would come and they would celebrate the Passover there around Jerusalem. Many of them would come around Jerusalem. And and, uh, uh, Jesus, though, had prepared, already prepared a place and made arrangements to be within the city, not outside the city. And so when it came the first day of unleavened bread, that's the day before the Passover, on which the Passover lamb was ha- had to be sacrificed, it says Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go. And so there's, there's several things that actually take place during this time. And uh, uh, there, there's, there's, there's a lot of things that have to take place. And it's interesting that, that uh, there's a sequence of events that occurs during the Passover a sequence of events of things that have to take place, of things that people have to get ready. So let me, let me go over with you a little bit of, of uh, the things that, that Jesus has to make sure that, that get prepared for. But what we read in Luke is that he tells Peter and John to prepare the Passover. Why Peter and John? Well, it, remember, Peter, James, and John are the three leading apostles. There were three leading apostles, these three groups of four, Peter and John were two of the leading apostles. And it's interesting that he chooses two of the leaders to prepare the feast. Generally, this is done as a Passover meal. This is done as a group of people, a group of uh, a, a family will generally partake of this together. But in this case, it's going to be a little bit different. Jesus is just going to be with his disciples. And it says that it, the next verse talks about how he meets just with his twelve in the upper room. This is this unit that's meeting. But Peter and John, two of the leading disciples, are the ones that are to prepare this meal for all of them. So this is April 6, 30 A.D. They know the date because it was a high Passover, meaning that the Passover also fell on the Sabbath day. And this is April 6, 30 A.D. Jesus was born between 4 and 7 B.C. Uh, This is is the, uh, the 14th of Nisan, the month that they called it. 
But let me go through with you some of the, some of the things that have to take place on the Passover. So first they had to go and they had to bring a lamb to the temple, or they could buy it at the temple. It had to be an approved lamb, so the priest had to approve it. Secondly, they'd take it to the temple compound and they had to have it killed. So Peter and John are doing this. Thirdly, the blood was poured out into a bowl, and then the bowl would be taken from one priest to another, passed by hand, until it reached the altar, and then it'd be poured out at the base of the altar. Fifthly, they would sing Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. Then the lamb would be cleaned and the entrails removed. A part of the lamb would be left for the priesthood, and the priesthood would, and the priesthood would bring it to the altar to be burned. The rest of the lamb could be taken home and prepared, and the Passover items would be prepared and made ready with unleavened bread, bitter herbs, wine, and harasat, which we'll talk about what that is. That was the tradition in the first century. And that is not unlike the tradition today. There's no taking the lamb to the temple, but the sequence of things that happened in the first century are very similar to the sequence of things that still happen today in a Jewish home on the Passover, particularly an Orthodox Jewish home. And here's the sequence of events. So the first thing is, so so Peter and John had to prepare this whole meal for the other ten. For, for the other, including Jesus, the other 11, they had to prepare this meal. They were the leaders. When you're a leader, more is expected of you. You want to be in leadership, more will be expected of you. You are called upon for more. Leadership is not sitting back, it is doing more. Jesus expected more of Peter and of John. He called on them to prepare this meal. And they could have said, well, you know, we don't really know how to prepare this very well. Usually our wives take care of this. But, and we, we know Peter had a wife, but he, he committed this to them. What did it say? It says that you go and a man will show you, you, you'll see a man carrying a pitcher of water. How is that a sign? How is that a sign? Well, it's because in the Middle East, women carry water and not men. And so if you see a man carrying water, that's your sign. Follow him and he'll take you to a house. The house was going to be identified by this one carrying water. But he says, when you get to that house, you're to say to the owner of the house, what, where is the room that is going to be for, for our master to hold the Passover feast? So he'd already, this man was just going to show them where the house was. Then when they go there, they're, they're to ask the owner of the home. The owner of the home showed them a large upper room, furnished and ready. It was ready and prepared for a Passover feast, meaning all the utensils were there. Everything they needed was there. It was furnished. An upper room is separated from the rest of, of, of the home. It's separated and has a private entrance. And church, church history says this. It's not scriptural, but church history says that that's where the church was born, that it was in that home, which is the, the parents of Mark, uh, the parents of John Mark, his, his parents' home, and that is the upper room in which they met in when the Holy Spirit fell. That is what church tradition says. But here's the sequence of events that takes place on the Passover. There was the kindling of the candles. So first, generally, the woman of the home would light the candles. Then there was the Kadesh cup, the first cup, the cup of blessing. Same pattern today in an Orthodox Jewish home. Then there's the first washing of the hands. So usually the, the mother or the daughter, will, one of the daughters will go around and she'll pour a little water over the hands of people and they'll wash it over a bowl. And then there's the dipping of the parsley in salt water. It's the bitter herbs. Because remember, this is a Passover to remember what they went through in the exodus out of, uh, exodus out of Egypt. 
Then there would be matzah, which is an unleavened bread. The bread has to be striped, and it has stripes on it, if you look at matzah, and it has to be pierced. It has holes in it. And so from a messianic perspective, that has great meaning. There's three pieces of matzah put in a, in a, in a, uh, a one-piece cloth that has three compartments. They take out the middle one, they break it, they put half of it back in, and they take the other half and leave it out for when the time is to eat it. Then there's four questions that are asked. And the four questions are to remember what happened at the Passover. Questions like, like uh, uh, on this day, on most days we can eat leavened bread or unleavened bread. Why do we eat unleavened bread on this day, unleavened bread only? And it's, then they discuss, because we were hurried out of Egypt. We didn't have time. On most days we can sit or we can recline at the table, but on the Passover we have to recline. It's these series of four questions. Again, typically asked today in a Jewish home on the Passover to remember what happened during the Passover. And then there's the telling of the story of the Passover, how they left Egypt. This is what happens on the Passover day. And you will often see the children of the home acting it out, putting big pillows on their back, like the burdens that the Israelites were carrying and other kids hitting them with strings to signify the whips that they were being beaten with. They'll act out the Passover. Then there's the second cup, the cup of plagues, where they remember the plagues. Now, the the Jewish drinking of wine, and you'll see it's the fruit of the vine in this context, because it was a special wine that no sugar could be added. It was all naturally fermented. And, and uh, uh, it was a sign of joy. But here they had to remember the plagues. So first they would, they would the ten plagues, they have to take ten drops of the wine and throw it out because Jew, in, in, in the law in Israel, which is transferred into the law in Christianity, we are not supposed to rejoice over the pain of our enemies. We don't have a word for that even in the English language. And, and they don't have a word for that in, in, in the Jewish language, in the Hebrew language, to, to rejoice in the pain of their enemies. They, they didn't do that, so they first had to get rid of ten drops for the ten plagues before they could take this cup of plagues and drink it. Then there's the second washing of the hands. Then they would eat bitter herbs. Then there's a bit, bitter herbs with, with uh, this heroseth. Heroseth is a mixture of nuts and, and uh, wine and apple that is cut up and lemon and honey. And it's a mixture that's prepared during the day, so by the time it's dinner time, it's a brown mixture. It's actually sweet and it's tasty, but it looks like the mortar that was used to, to make the bricks. And this is what they were doing in Egypt. So all of this was to cause them to remember. And the same tradition was happening in the first century. So Jesus went through the same tradition, and you can walk this through as you look at the steps that are taken in the Gospel accounts. And then they, they'll have the Passover supper. So it's only now that they now eat the lamb and have the Passover supper. After the Passover supper, then they eat the afikomen, which is the, the, the matzah. That's when they eat the bread. So it was after supper, the scripture talks about, how Jesus took the bread. And that he would take it, a, a small piece, and he would dip it in this horoset and it, with bitter herbs, and he would give it to each person at the table, the leader in, in the home was to do that, giving it to each person at the table. And it's only then that they would then take the third cup, the cup of redemption. The scriptures only mention two of the four cups. Two of the Gospels only mention one of the cups. One of the Gospels mentions two of the four cups. And then after that, there's the fourth cup, the cup of praise. And then what Jesus does on this particular Passover is then 
he takes on doing this in remembrance of me and he institutes what we call the communion service or what the scriptures call the Lord's Supper. Then the service is completed. This is what happens in a Passover feast. And so, so what happens is, is you, you see all of this occurring in this feast. And so this is what's going to occur. During this feast time, during this feast time, Jesus is taking up these different cups and they're going through these different steps, all of this having been prepared by Peter and John for the others that are there. Next week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at, the, 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 we're going to discuss in, the, in detail the betrayal of, of, uh, of Judas and we're also going to discuss where Jesus washed the disciples' feet at that meal, which is a very unusual thing. You just usually have a hand washing. So that's why it was surprising to all of the disciples there. But at this point, what we're going to do is we're going to look back at, at, at uh, uh, Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And, and he, he, uh, he starts talking about these different phases that he's going to go through in Luke chapter 22 of each one of these, these things that's going to happen. And, and uh, um, so, so let's, let's pick it up where he says in, verse, in Luke chapter 22, verse 19. It says, when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's Luke 22, verse 19. So remember, the Passover meal has taken place. They've eaten of the lamb. Now they're going to eat the matzah that they had removed earlier on in the meal, and they're going to eat that. There's lots of symbolism that, as Christians, as Messianic Jews or as Christians, you can take. The matzah was striped. It was the middle matzah that was pulled out. You had the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Many things that, that could be used as analogies for us, but it's not rabbinic in the sense. And, and he took of this bread, he gave it to them, but this is exactly the time that he, was after the meal he was supposed to take what was called the sop, the S-O-P, the matzah, dipped in this and handed to each person, and he would give it to them. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then it says, and, and, and after he did this, it says in verse 20, and in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, remember, after the Passover meal. So this is now the third cup. The third cup comes after they eat the lamb, the Passover meal, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And in, in, in the other Gospels it says, do this in remembrance of me. So now what we're going to do is we're going we're to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11... We're going to read more about this institution of the communion or the Lord's Supper. This was the beginning of the Lord's Supper. It was that last Passover. Jesus had said to them, I will not partake of the Passover again until it is new with you in the kingdom of God. So the Passover ceases for us. We take of the Lord's Supper. He instituted the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is only until he returns, as we're going to see here, and then the Passover is going to be reinstituted in the Messianic kingdom when Jesus returns. That's what's prophesied in the book of Ezekiel. But not to remember so much the coming out of Egypt as to remember the return of the king and, and, the, and, and the sacrifice of the king. That will be reinstituted. We are now in a time where we take 
of the Lord's Supper. This is what he's instituted. He said, I'm not going to partake of this. Now, the Jews still partake of this. The disciples still partook of it. Paul would hurry back to Jerusalem for the Passover. But it was not just a, a, a Passover remembering what had happened coming out of Egypt. They would also remember what the Lord had done for them. So to the Jew, it encompasses both of these. For, for the Gentile, it encompasses mainly just the Lord's Supper. And this is going to be done when Jesus returns. But, but um, let's start reading in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to start reading at verse 20. Because what happens is Jesus introduces things in the gospel. And then the apostles teach us from this through, 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 the, uh, through the epistles we learn. It says, therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. So Paul is reproving them, saying, you're having these meals together and you're not taking the Lord's Supper. So he's reproving this church in Corinth. He says, for in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. One is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. So he's reproving these people because they're taking of a church meal and he says, you're grabbing food and everything. You forgot about the whole reason for your coming together. If you're hungry, eat at home. The Lord's Supper is something different than just a fellowship meal. That would be like, like if, if we go on to the end of that chapter, in the end of that chapter, verse 33, it says, So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. So he says, if, he says, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if you're hungry, eat at home. It's a very strange thing. That's like my saying, come over to my home for lunch today. But on your way, stop at McDonald's and eat if you're hungry. And then come over to eat. Because it only makes sense in the sense that the Lord's Supper is something separate from just a fellowship meal. The Lord's Supper is something separate. It is a separate thing from a fellowship meal. A fellowship meal, people can get together and have a meal together. The Lord's Supper is a separate ceremony. And so look in, in verse 23 of that same chapter. Paul says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. So remember, Paul was taught directly by Jesus. He was taken up to the third heaven and he was instructed by Jesus. He got this revelation and Jesus shared this with him. Here, he says, I'm sharing with you what Jesus instructed me to teach you. That the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Why do we take the bread? We remember him. The Jews remember the coming out of Egypt. We are to remember Jesus. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember what happens is, the Bible does not speak about history the Bible speaks about remembrance. It takes history and it personalizes it. Personalizes history and it says, in your mind's eye, you remember Jesus. None of us saw Jesus crucified on that cross. But in our mind's eye, we can see Jesus crucified on that cross. He says, remember me. What do you do when you take the Lord's Supper? You remember Him. That's what He told you to do. He said, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. There was a covenant, a Mosaic covenant, 613 commandments they had to live under. Only Jesus fulfilled them all. Two-thirds of them a person could not fulfill today because they revolve around temple sacrifice. Of the remaining one-third, nobody can even fulfill those. They're, they're laborious and tough, but Jesus did. He's now instituted a new covenant which we live under, this covenant of grace. He says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We are to remember the blood of Jesus. So when you take that cup in the Lord's Supper, you remember the blood of Jesus shed for you. That's what the meaning of this is. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Remember, this ends at the coming of Jesus. This taking of the Lord's Supper and communion will end when Jesus returns. And then the Passover feast will be reinstituted. Verse 20, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. What does that mean? What does that mean to drink in an unworthy manner? Some people will say, oh, I, I, I can't take of a communion. I, I'm just not right with God today. I don't want to do that. Well, get right with God. Get right with God. What do you want to do? You want to beat yourself over the back with chains to get right with God? You think that'll make you right with God? Beat it harder and then you get more right with God? How do you get right with God? It says in verse 28, But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. A man must examine himself. It is a time of self-examination where I examine myself. You examine yourself. Self-examination. But a man must examine himself. That sounds like an imperative to me, doesn't it? A man must examine himself and, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So this thing that, oh no, I'm not right with God today. I don't want to eat the bread and drink the cup. Well, get right with God because it told you to examine yourself and so take, partake of it. Refraining to partake does not save you from this judgment. You're to examine yourself. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Well, what body? Jesus' body? What body? My body? Which body? What are you talking about? In verse 30, uh, verse 30 it says, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. Remember, sleep is a euphemism in the New Testament for death of the believer. Many of you are weak and sick and a number are dead. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. It is a time of self-examination. I am to judge myself. I am to judge myself and look at myself. Lord, is there something that I have done this week? If there's something that I'm involved with that is not right, Lord, examine me. The Holy Spirit is very good at reminding us things that we have done. And don't just say, well, that's, that's, that was way in the past. That's skeletons in the closet. Well, how come that skeleton keeps kicking the door open? This is a time between you and God to say, Father, I am sorry. Forgive me. I am sorry. Forgive me. You don't want to carry this in your life. I see lots of people that are older that have carried such sin that it just weighs them down. And the scriptures say, 
Many believers, many believers, he says, many are weak and sick in the number of sleep. He's not talking about unbelievers, because unbelievers speak to death. Believers, it speaks of sleep. Many believers are spiritually weak, spiritually sick, and they die because they carry sin. This is God's mercy. He doesn't want to, have to, he doesn't want to see you have to go through this. Do you see how this is merciful? It's not God taking us and grinding our face in our sin. Saying, I don't want you to have to carry this. I want you to be free. If it involves another person, you make a commitment to deal with that other person, that situation where you're going to go and say, I am sorry for what I did. Please forgive me. And just like that, don't expect them to say they're sorry. This is between you and God. And just leave it at that. Deal with it. He says, if we, then he says, for this reason, for this reason, many among you, in verse 30, many among you are weak and sick in a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we will not be judged. So in other words, if I judge myself rightly, if I say, Lord, forgive me for what I've done, guess what? I don't have to be judged. We can escape judgment of God by keeping our hearts free of sin. By saying, Father, forgive me. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Judgment for the believer is not condemnation like people of the world. People who don't know Christ, there is a big distinction. Politically, correctness, there is no distinction. Scripturally, there's a big distinction between people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and have called Him into their life and people who have not. People who have not, it says they are under condemnation. Condemnation along with the world. That's going to happen. But in the believer, there's discipline. You can avoid the discipline if you repent. That's a pretty good deal. That's a pretty good deal. This is what the Scriptures talk about in 1 John 1.9. Let's turn to 1 John, the book of 1 John. If we say that we have fellowship... Let's start reading from verse 6. 1 John 1.6 If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all of unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. So in verse 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. If we confess our sins, He forgives us our sins. This is to the believer. This is the note to the believer. This is what He tells us. He tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us. This is what the Scriptures talk about. This is what He's saying. The Lord's Supper is a time of remembrance. There is no prescription in the Scriptures as to how often we have to take the Lord's Supper. But it says, it's interesting though, that the disciples used to meet together on the first day of the week for it. This is why there is this practice, and this is why I very much like to take of it each week. You know, and some people say, well, you know, if you take it each week, it kind of loses its meaning. Okay, so if we pray once a week, it's too much. It kind of loses its meaning. Maybe so, by the same rationale. Or if a Baptist church says, well, you know, we don't like to take it every week because it kind of loses its meaning. Okay, how about offerings? Offerings kind of lose their meaning when you take them every week. So, so let's turn to Psalm 32. 
Psalm 32. And we're going to wrap up with this. Psalm 32. How blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. This is exactly what it's talking about in the New Testament. Many are weak and sick and the number sleep. If we hold on to our sin, there is going to be this aching in our bones. Our body will be wasting away. If you hold on to sin your body, your physical body will begin to waste away. As we release this and say, Father, forgive me. It is life. God wants life for us. God wants life for us. He calls us as believers to something much greater. And then he goes on to say in verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in the flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. God surrounds us with songs of deliverance, but he calls us to a place of openness with him. He doesn't ever say that we have to go and confess this to a priest. He never says that the Lord's Supper has to be served by a priest. Never. I've done this so many times with my own family. We just take the Lord's, the Lord's Supper together as a family. So when my kids were little, we would gather in the morning, we'd take the Lord's Supper together. And we'd remember Him. He calls us to something different. All of us have opportunities in our life that come our way where we could walk in a manner that is sinful, that is dishonorous to God. And we make decisions to follow Him. You know, yesterday I got a phone call from somebody I know and he's working for a company and he said, he said, I need to tell you, I, I discovered this thing and, that I was working on and um, he told me about it. It was a great material, he, how he made this material and, it, and, it, and it's able to do this remarkable thing. But what's interesting about that is the material that he made is very inexpensive and it does a remarkable thing which will compete head-on with two of the companies that I'm a part of, that I partially own, that could very well put the two companies out of business because it's, it's so amazing, the material as he described it to me. He says, but I don't want you to be without this. He really likes me. He says, so why don't you kind of work on this too and, and uh, uh, you know, then you can come and talk to our company. And we... I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, you know, I've got a lot of things in my life that can keep me busy. I don't need those two companies. I said, I've always done things uprightly. I don't want to do anything wrong. Nothing wrong. He says, okay. You know, if you, I said, you know, I, I appreciate you calling me. I understand what you're trying to do, but you're not supposed to be doing, doing this. He says, no, I'm not supposed to be doing this, but I don't want to see you lose out so much. I said, no, it's okay. The Lord will take care of me. I have plenty of other things. So then we got talking to other things. I said, by the way, how did you make that? He says, oh, I started with, with, with such and such. He said, you started with such and such. I said, where'd you learn how to make such and such? He said, from you. I said, yeah, from me. And, and how did you learn to make that? That was under a non-disclosure agreement between me and your company. So you learned that from me. So in other words, this great material that you made, material B, you started with material A that I made. 
It's already on it, along with you. I said, there's no need for you to have to worry about this. We're all together in this. So just tell your boss this beautiful stuff you made. Tell them it was built upon stuff that you learned from me under non-disclosure. We all own it together. I just the Lord take care of everything. Took care of everything. I didn't have to fight for this. Boom. And so it's going to be this great new material that will go into our companies and, and feed our companies. This is exactly what the Lord does. You know, he, he, there are these opportunities that come in life. To, would we just grasp at this? Because it could be great gain. But if it's dishonest, don't do it. The Lord has something better for you. The Lord has something better. And then when our hearts become infected because they are devious and sinful, come before the Lord and say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me. The Lord's Supper is a beautiful thing. If you don't know the Lord, if you've never received Jesus in your heart, a very good way to do it is to receive Jesus in the Lord's Supper. To say, Lord, as I take of this bread, I receive you. Forgive me of my sins and come into my life and I receive you. As I take of this cup, I receive the cleansing of your blood. Come into my life. If you don't know the Lord, we take the Lord's Supper after this class every week. You join us if you like. If you like, you're free to join us. If you don't know the Lord, if you're taking the Lord's Supper... You take it to receive the Lord during the Lord's Supper. Receive Him into your life. Don't let this day slip by without coming to the Lord. Don't let this day slip by. I'm older than you. I have seen many people carry so much baggage in their life by carrying burdens of sins. Don't let your life be like that. Release these. Go and just just have a life that is open to saying to people, Hey, I'm sorry. When you take the Lord's Supper, you remember you said something harsh to somebody. You remember you... You did something wrong to somebody that you shouldn't have done. Just make a commitment that after the Lord's Supper, you're going to go and talk to them to say, I'm sorry. If they're not around, you can't reach, call them up and say it. Don't write them a letter. It's better not having it in a physical letter. Just call them up if you can. If it's impossible, then if all you can do is write to them, fine. A text is the worst way to do it. But if that's the only way, it's better than nothing. But if you can meet with them, that's the best way. If you can speak with them so that they can hear your voice, it would make a difference. You say, this is really humbling. Duh. This is what it's all about. That we humble ourselves before the Lord. You won't get this sort of thing from the world, but Jesus calls us to this. And you can walk far more free. Let's pray. Abba Father, I thank You so much for Your mercies and Your grace. Thank You, Lord, for Your Word, which teaches and instructs us. Thank You, Lord, for Your body which was given for us, for Your blood which was shed for us. Lord, we remember You. We remember Your body which was given, Your blood which was shed. And Father, I pray that You would work in the lives of these young people to call them to lives of repentance so that they would not have to be judged and disciplined, so that they would have a life that is free from this discipline. They can even get by the discipline by confessing it to You. Father, I pray that You would so work in their lives that they would have lives that are free and open to You and not stacking up these burned bridges and skeletons in the closet lest their bodies just get torn away from them, lest they become weak and sick. Father, I pray for their spiritual welfare that they would remain alive and resilient in You by keeping hearts that are opened, 
by the grace of God, your mercies be upon them, I pray, for your glory. Amen.